You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Hey everybody, well, welcome to episode two in our series, what we would do with or to Watsi if we ran Hasbro. So in part one, we cover what we would do with the game itself, what we were looking for, and a little bit of organized play because it was pretty kind of cut and dry, yes or no, what we wanted to do. We just wax poetic and talk about the days of ELO and chess. Today, we're covering kind of the meat and potatoes. This is the org. This is Watsi from top to bottom. What would we do with Watsi if we ran Hasbro? What do you got? All right, make Watsi its own thing. Put them in charge of their own development. Great, let them run autonomously. They did it for 20 years before you came along and started mucking it up. They can do it for another 20 years and make a great product that is high quality, that is deliverable. Also, if you want to make digital media a thing, if you want digital platforms, to play your game i don't know maybe hire people for that have a proper qa department have proper testers don't have one team literally take care of everything it's impossible if you worked in any organization not just in software and you're in charge of new projects you're in charge of quality control you're in charge of loss prevention. You're in charge of everything. It doesn't work. You're wearing too many hats. And I get it. Hasbro probably only employs, I think at one point, like right after Hasbro took over, Watsi only employed like 850 people, which is mind boggling. The rest was all like 1099 contractors. Fine, whatever. Hire more people. I get it. It's a business. It's bottom line oriented. Of course it is. And you're making money hand over fist when your earnings were down eight percent watsi was up 24 percent great don't care let them run the game because in my opinion and maybe i'm wrong the way they are running the game as this giant cash cow yes it's making it incredibly valuable but it's creating a bubble that's not going to last forever and if you want this game to continue long term You've got to get better about letting them run the game. Stop running it like a toy company. Start running it like a game company, which is what it is. Granted, D&D is something separate entirely. That's its own entity. That's also part of Wizards of the Coast. I think they've been doing a great job with Dungeons & Dragons. I think getting all of the pop culture references and making it more mainstream has been good for the health of Wizards of the Coast. I think D&D doesn't need to be touched. It's that good right now. Magic, however, feels like it's floundering. And the more that they get involved with how Magic is run, the worse it's going to be for the company at large because long-term, it's just not viable. We already have people complaining about wallet fatigue, about having trouble staying up to date with new sets, new releases. Your grinders who may only show up for a big event every three to four months don't really have an idea of what's going on with the game and have started jumping ship to other things. So you know what? Hands off, 
let Wizards run its own stuff. And when it comes to your digital media, get separate teams in there that actually know what they're doing. Don't just put it all on one person. You know, Arena still has problems crashing. Snoop was creating problems in Moto for ever. And there's still issues where I'm running into like infinite shuffle glitches on Arena. All you need to do is get someone in there to properly test it. And then you know what? Great. What we can do is now go into this game, test it, make sure it's a stable product on release. Do you think if months after the fact, WoW was experiencing glitches as common as has been with Arena and is with Moto decades after its release, WoW would still be around? No, because they have an actual QC team. They actually do what they're supposed to do. And I think that having that autonomy and getting those people in not only improves the overall finances of Hasbro long-term, it improves the viability of Wizards of the Coast and Magic the Gathering specifically as an entity long-term. It also lets you avoid issues like Magic Legends, which, if anybody paid attention... They literally shut down months after it released and said, hey, guys, we're issuing refunds for everyone because this was a disaster. You can't afford that kind of product repeatedly. I don't care how much money you're making. If you stumble that poorly, if you put that many resources into developing something and it just dies, that's not a viable business model. And it's, you know, they've done what they can with Arena. They've done what they can with Moto. But those are only two platforms. They haven't expanded the digital footprint. How many people remember playing Planescape Magic growing up? Or Microprose Magic? That game was awesome. I want more stuff like that. I don't necessarily want to just play the card game all day. I want a cool setting. I want awesome stuff that I can do in the universe. And expanding your digital team and getting the proper people in there helps with that. Additionally... I, some of the QC people I would bring in would be actual D&D people because these are min-maxers who look at everything, look at ways that things can be broken and test tabletop games which take hours longer for a single session than a game of Magic does and bring in some Magic people for D&D to try to get some fresh perspective on D&D as well to see ways that you can improve that product because I think more eyes on each of those products internally and externally only improves things also get rid of the rules committee that's it fair maybe not get rid of them just retool some of it like why is sway of the stars banned that card is bad it's a 10 mana sorcery that doesn't win the game it's garbage it shouldn't be banned that's that's my soapbox for the rules committee sorry i'm done uh, cross a cross organizational testing and visibility is always great um but it's gonna they don't do that, and I'm going to speak to some of that. Um, yeah. Uh, something I want to touch on up top, uh, this is a conversation born out of late last week with the move of Chris Cock from uh, Watsi's COO to Hasbro's CEO. One of the things I will look into as Hasbro is taking the now-defunct Transformers CCG from a physical game to a digital-based game. That game was awesome. Because... Watsi has the experience doing that. I wouldn't put it all on Watsi necessarily, despite the fact that judges signed up for Judge Academy could cert for Transformers. It's like we work for them, but not whatever. And I, I think as Hasbro, I would hope that this run of the card game, despite 
running into supply chain issues and then overcorrecting causing my issue was the last time I needed to learn that if I have a Transformers product and I cannot literally transform it, it is not a Transformers product and thus does not need to be fucking made. <laughs> Facts. So you make it digital, and you know what you car- your items can do, your game, your your game pieces transform. They can just idly transform in digital format, and it just hits nostalgia the way you need to. All right, so that that yep. that's up top. Uh, about Watsy itself, there are too many old white dudes that are too comfortable with their titles and roles that should honestly have been dismissed over a decade ago. Watsy needs new blood and an updated vision and understanding of its player base as well as technology. You can tell from their decisions, being these old fuddy-duddies surrounding products and everything digital, that those in power have views that are too old and out of date. A good example, attempting to clone Hearthstone was a good decision in 2013, not 2020. So, while we're talking about digital, whether these are the flagship products or not, Watsy needs to decide if it is a dev shop. If they decide they are, then they need to bring on worthwhile talent with a history of current success and not entities with that or aforementioned old white dudes have fond memories of. Neverwinter Nights is dead and gone, and EQ, while still seeing current development, is not a game that is drawing eyes. You don't need to hire these studios. There are a lot of talented, hungry individuals and studios that, that you could bring in or buy out. If Watsi is not a dev shop, then they need to find one like that one that they like that doesn't just support games in quote-unquote maintenance mode that these old white farts enjoy and find someone that has an earnest drive and desire to work with the product with enough competitors in the space it can't be that hard you just can't continue to be so fucking cheap and timid your your point about wow is accurate and here's the other thing from like maybe the middle of uh, what is known as Vanilla WoW. So within the first two or three years, I can't count the number of games that would that were coming out that were the WoW Slayers. So you know what Blizzard had to do? They had to iterate. They had to be ahead of them. They had to make a better game. Magic doesn't have to do that. It's magic. Everything else is already terrible in comparison. Flesh and, Flesh and Blood looks pretty dope. Still has a long way to go here. Like, yeah. It could get there if they keep stumbling and they keep falling and they just keep like it's uh it's like that Simpsons episode where Sides of Bob just keeps stepping on the rakes. You step on enough yeah. of them, someone's gonna run by it, right? Yeah. And that's what's going to happen with the game and these digital products. And then as far as understanding their players, this goes back to the issue about the game as a whole. We want playable cards. That's it. Cards that have been designed and tested by teams that share a vision and understanding about a product that work harmoniously together and aren't rushed for results. Teams that are well-funded and well-staffed that can help craft a game that offers a rich experience and high replay value, not infinite secret layers and EDH decks each year. This is a point we touched on in the previous episode and we'll talk about more coming up. And one last parting shot, there's no need to charge as much must there is no need to charge as much for quote-unquote master's packs as they do. It's just gatekeeping people from playing modern or more EDH. Why? Probably because it's easy guaranteed money. But if you just price them like standard packs in the future, you can just sit back and enjoy the windfall. Yeah. It's not like it costs anything extra to produce these sets. The cards themselves don't cost extra, and it's not like they're testing it at all, so it's obviously not tied into playtesting. 
why are you charging more? I just don't understand. It does not make sense to me. Nope. So we both touched on bigger teams that can focus on their job to do a better job. Like, these are independent notes. So this is obvious. <laughs> like, yeah. that your shit just isn't QA'd or designed or developed properly from the, from a physical card or from a card standpoint. It's odd. It, it should not be this difficult. I don't understand why it is. No, and it's ridiculous that we keep having the same gaffes. I, man, I will always remember, and I could find the article. I just CBF to right now. If you look at the band announcement for Skull Clamp, it is the most embarrassing thing you'll ever read from an organization <laughs> on the whole. It's so bad. They, it's and it's not just to talk about the iterations of Skull Clamp that they went through and how plus one minus one got through with the the draw uh, trigger on it. It's what they were playing internally at the time. That is the embarrassing part. They weren't playing it in Affinity, which was the brand new mechanic in the brand new set. They were playing it in their Wizards deck, which was the previous block and a tribe completely irrelevant to any aspect of the game. They were testing a brand new card in a brand new set with cards that were completely irrelevant. Yep. They had... It's 52 cards in the average deck of cards. You get two jokers and two insert cards, right? So that brings you up to 56 and four skull clamps. That's effectively what they were doing. They sleeved up a deck of playing cards. They opened a bicycle deck of cards, sleeved it up, and then put four skull clamps in there. And of course they missed it. Deathrite Shaman is similar, but that was a last minute before printing error, which they seem to have really uh, moved away from. They kind of... Yeah. There were some between Skull Clamp and DRS. Uh, we mentioned Gite's third ability, making it effectively the first Planeswalker. And the best two mono Planeswalker, if we're being honest. Uh, yeah. Deathrite Shaman being the best one mono Planeswalker. Yeah. DRS got a tough... People didn't understand the toughness bump on DRS, on Deathrite Shaman. And Watsi came out and said, that was us. We did this for the quote-unquote splash damage available from Innistrad block. What splash damage? Nobody was playing anything from that block that just dealt one damage to everything there wasn't a branching bolt or something like that floating around yet or in that format that was high, that was playable and so DRS just clobbered modern and legacy did nothing in standard like okay okay great thanks guys you know, good job we move through time then we go back to the artifact set and that's always going to be a problem because they always look you, you, this one's a give and take and this one I'll always accept from the org. They tried something new. Vehicles was brand new. Yeah. Affinity was brand new. I'll give them that. And Mirrodin was supposed to be the foothold for the next standard to build on, right? So that was kind of freaking weird. And um, Kaladesh and Aether Revolt were going to be the last set in that standard and then rotate before they did that, that dumb thing where they changed rotational patterns, right? And they tried something... They tried, tried two new things, energy and vehicles. And for the most part, they were okay, but they pushed them a little too far because they were brand new and they didn't really know where the line was yet, so they overstepped. Then they, they pulled back and they corrected. Not quite fast enough, but still good enough then we move through and then we have these weird kind of like fire design bands in oko and yeah 
literal a fire ban and uh, fires of invention and and things like that where they just went a little they went above and beyond and that's more egregious but i think that part the the 16 bands or whatever it was in that standard season you're banning commons people come on that I think at, at that point, that smacks of an organization that does not have enough resources, does not have a cohesive vision between teams yeah. working on one side of the game. To your point, bringing in the D&D guys, people that are at like that have a different, a different viewpoint, a, di- a different stance, probably know how to play the game, to just come in and rattle off some stuff, you know, take a look at these cards. What do you think? You don't even have to play test. Like, how often do you play? Get, get a feel for them and then just like, Throw them at the cards. What does it look like? They did that with Patrick Sullivan. And he laughed at some of this shit, too. He's like, that's ridiculous. You cannot do yeah. this. And I, it's... It, they, they seemingly... We lack resources, so we're going to rely on people's passion. Yeah. To work for this. And one of my biggest issues with the Future Future League, when they had it, was, okay... So you're expecting pros who play this game professionally to make a living to test this and be honest about busted ass shit that they're playing with and not just tell their friends, hey, this is coming up. You expect me to believe that the future future league missed Aetherworks Marvel with Eldrazi? Get out of here. I, I, you need people whose yeah. sole job is to test this stuff. It's to make sure that this works and to give them the resources they need to succeed. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like they're just, eh, eh, why not? And obviously digital is still a problem. And pick a reason why it's a problem. Uh, But it, it is, there's probably no correct place to start to fix it it is probably just a you're all gone yeah and then start from the ground up again to really fix it arena not to say you need to scrap the projects but you need to definitely bring in new teams yes to work to work on that, that. and you know what when these games go into maintenance mode and basic lands don't break arena you can then take that arena team and let them focus on new, interesting passion projects. I, I was trying to remember. It's not Duel of the Planeswalkers. There's a 2002-2003 game. We've talked about it before where it was like all five of the Pit Lords from Onslaught were selectable characters. And when you summon your little Lanwar elf, it popped up on the screen. And when you attacked with it, it just walked across and then like stabbed somebody else. Like, Yeah, not, it was like battle chess. Yeah, exactly. Not the yeah. greatest, but an alternative. And you can do stuff like that. You don't have to yeah. try and f- take the skin of another game and drape it over the skin of magic a la Legends. It's like, here's Diablo, but with magic. You, you, you don't need that. You can turn them loose once your base products are stable or stable enough and i'm sure we're gonna bump up into this in arena like we do in moto not everything's going to work we're in an era where in theory it should but there are cards that will never be implemented on moto because they just will not work or they're anti 
and that's fine. Yeah, this is a game that's made for paper first and digital second. Who knows? Maybe digital first later on and then paper second. So everything should work. Yeah. But you you need to make that decision about what you want to do. Either you build it, so you bring in brand new talent, brand new teams, brand new management, and then you get the fuck out of the way, like you were yeah. talking about. Give, give these teams the autonomy to do what they need to do. Or you go out and you commission a dev shop and you're like this is what you're doing we're buying you and you again leave them the fuck alone and let their management do things yeah i mentioned earlier it's very obvious to see that a lot of this is an old viewpoint an old standpoint and while we haven't really gotten confirmation that of that from some of the people that have left we know via qa efforts and the way things are handled how they're built how they're tested they're iterated that it seems like this is a very old ment- uh, mentality for programming and design and development. They're not, doesn't look like they're an agile team, meaning they can't release functionality in bits and pieces. They can't get us just a bit of something. They have to waterfall. They have to go from one function and one, one team or one team member to another, to another, to another, until everything is built and then you push it out the door. You can't iterate and build on a product that is yeah you absolutely can do that there are patches and it is welcomed and expected in the year 2022 i i don't understand how a company which has been so innovative in the space of not really collectibles but action figures and has been so prone to iteration and being fresh doesn't understand this is a different product than we are used to dealing with we need to iterate differently but they don't somehow and it's mind-boggling yep. to me it's just these old people these and with their old mindsets and their old ways just letting this company exist in the year you know 1994 this is the way everything has to be done because this is the way it was done then no that makes you a dinosaur and you go extinct Hearthstone was built in Unity I think uh, Arena is as well so as well so cool we're on decent technology yeah you're not on JavaScript, so you've got something yeah. going there. Why can't but, we have the same functionality that they have in that game? Don't understand. And, uh, I, I did like the point about D&D, because I didn't really branch out and think about other parts of the org. I, I think there is a little bit to speak of in regards to leaving that team alone, and I think it has more to do with forcing IP upon them than anything else yeah like why do you need to throw Ravnica and some other stuff at that team to build books for we're probably going to get a new Capernia or whatever thing if if I had to guess here's an art yeah here's a D&D crossover set because that worked out so great for Guilds of Ravnica it might have played well if people played it but it's exactly. it's the cross branding you own both IPs you want to you know open people's eyes and say hey look you could also be doing this too, but like, yeah. just let them do their fucking thing. Those guys have been doing it forever. Like, 
they crush Pathfinder, that game doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like, and you know what? Good job because everyone when that came out assumed, oh yeah, this is way better than D and D. This is going to kill D and D, and you outlasted it. Yeah. The the Pioneer Red Box that came at a time where people were struggling with D and D fourth ed because like the rules were so heady and dense. They made things easier. It was weird. D&D 4th Ed felt like um, like World of Warcraft arenas. Garbage. Well, no, no. It was like yeah. this kind of like... Everything felt like a real like skirmish where you just like... Everybody was in melee and they're all just like punching each other. It's like just bar fights all the time. Yeah. And the rules for grapple were incredibly difficult. But... It was dumb. Yeah. And it's just like... It was a really good update to the rules that allowed other games to say, like, oh, we could just crib the fourth out rules. They're clear enough now that where we don't have to rely yeah. on third or three, five. These are clear. Anybody can get them. And if you play a game like uh, fourth ed, they'll, they'll, they'll just make sense. Pathfinder comes out. The red box is insane. They clear. They make the game so much easier, so much more fluid. And Watsy like went dark for a little bit with D&D. They, they were doing their supplemental stuff and everything else, and then just blew the doors off with 5th Ed. Yep. Like, it was great. Yeah, uh, so, on that side of things, I think they're they're doing great. I think you could just stand to leave them alone. Don't, don't pester them to make your supplemental crap. Unless yeah. it is that downtime where they're not working on sets and they can dedicate the resources, but don't make them context switch. Don't don't ask them to do that. You're just it's just not gonna work out well. It's like asking your, you know, your QA team to then start curating cubes. Or reading oh boy, design files. That's gonna go over swimmingly. Yeah, or, or read through design files. Context switching doesn't always work out. Split prio, split time. You can't dedicate. Dumb. Yeah. Um, I know, and a lot of picks. Oh, good, good. Oh, I was gonna say picks. Oh yeah, we can do that. Um, but uh, you know, you did mention like I brought up Masters packs at the end, and you had a, a good point about that. Yeah. I think it it doesn't cost extra to make them. Why are you charging us fifteen dollars in some cases for this? The cost of the cardboard, of the ink, whatever, is negligible, and it doesn't cost anything extra over what a normal set does. In fact. It's probably cheaper to design than a normal set because the cards are already made. These cards exist. You just have to have a cube curator look at them and say, eh, whatever, this makes a cool limited format. Animate Dead and World Gorger? Let's do yeah. it. Great. That's all you need. It is so much more simple. It should not cost so much more. And you know what? You're making money hand over fist when these release. Great. You want your game to be affordable? actually make it print to demand sell these sets sell these packs for five six dollars you want to charge a little bit extra fine i don't see why they should be 10 to 15 dollars when it doesn't cost anything extra and if anything is cheaper because you don't have to pay a design team to come up with cards from scratch i i just it doesn't make sense to me that we're going to charge all this extra because we can Mm -hmm. great just get more product out make the money that way keep your players happy and then you don't have you know oh well you just reprinted this card and it's already a hundred dollars again look you clearly care about the secondary market otherwise secret layers wouldn't exist why does that product exist if you don't care about the secondary market get rid of that just make better products all the time which goes back to what i said last episode sorry you know like they could probably just make a box of force of wills and monocrypts 
Yeah. Soul rings, lightning greaves. That's it. Yep. Sells. Four card four cards in a pack. You, yep. You'll sell everyone. Every single one. As long as you price it properly. It, chase all you want, but yeah, there's no no reason, no reason, no reason. No. Now I'm good for Pixel. Uh, you want to go first? Did I go first? Who went first? Uh, you went first last week. I'll go first okay. this week. So mine, in keeping with my ongoing trend of looking at market trends, is Smokestack. Specifically Urza's Saga, the looking at the price history of the From the Vault Annihilation version. Same deal. Both are applicable. So Smokestack was one of those cards that was like reserve list-ish that basically we're just never going to print this effect again. It doesn't play magic the way we want to play magic. It's awful. We don't like it. Great. Cool. However, it's really good in EDH stacks lists. In fact, it's where the term stacks comes from. So why now? Well, if you take a look at the stocks graph, you can see that it reached its all-time high earlier last year and about April, and we've been on a steady downtick ever since. We've seen some fluctuation recently, but it looks like we've arrived at a new floor for this card at around $15 to $20. Now, this is the kind of thing that I see as cyclical in nature, and it's a new cycle that we're seeing start to develop, where you have all these, like, second-tier reserve lists, the soft RL, as I've referred to it, that these are the effects we're not going to print again. Uh, you know, like Tangle Wire is another example, and I went for the From the Vault Tangle Wire not too long ago. Uh, these are the things that we're just not going to see come out of Wizards of the Coast because it's not conducive to game design. And it's not conducive to fun because Smokestack and Tanglewire are both very much there is a finite amount to be had in a game of Magic and I intend to have it all. Wizards doesn't like those cards. So now that we're at a new floor, what's our timeline like? Honestly, I'd say about 8 to 12 months. Between that and the fact that they're sitting at about 15 to $20, I wouldn't go super deep on this. I'm not packing like 30 or 40 of them realistically i'm probably packing more like 10 to 20. now the interesting thing about this is that while this price surge price fluctuation whatever you want to call it has been going on the quantity's been diminishing specifically on the from the vault Hmm. uh so when i picked this as we were delaying this two-parter uh you know it was on my pick list probably like a week and a half ago was when i said this is going to be my official pick uh, we've gone from 102 to 78 listings of the From the Vault in Near Mint or Lightly Played. And we've gone from 107 to 103 for Urza's Saga. What this means is this is actual just organic demand drying this up. This is the market at work. We are seeing the quantity equalize supply and demand. Our price is equalized with the desired quantity, which means that we're in a particularly stable point for buy-in right now. Uh, as far as buy lists, there's no international buy lists that are causing this card to surge like there is with Ragavan or some of the other MH2 cards. This is purely organic. This card is seeing play. People are picking this card up. They want it to have it to play. It's not a case of speculation going on here. It seems like it's natural forces at work. The interesting thing here is that Card Kingdom has not fluctuated on price their retail is still the same as it's been about 20 bucks that's good because that means again by their indications this is just a normal market trend we are at a stable time right now to buy in so i'd be looking at probably about eight to twelve months to see when this cycle repeats itself 
granted it started early in 21 but this seems like something that's going to take a little bit longer to hit again we may see a little bit of a surge come tax season as we are prone to do in a lot of cards uh, but i wouldn't expect it to be too much like it was earlier this year when all of a sudden we went from six to 30 that i expect to happen in spring of 2023 if not around holiday time maybe okay we'll see EDH is who you're going to. This isn't seeing play in Legacy. It's not seeing play in Vintage. It's not even Modern Legal. This is going to be purely EDH, purely Collectors, uh, which is one of the reasons that I think the From the Vault is an interesting pickup, because while it's not exactly Reserve List, hasn't been printed in foil except for the From the Vault one, which is honestly pretty gnarly art. Yeah. I'm just a sucker for the original, so that's why I picked uh, that. It's also an FTV, so it's going to be a nice Pringle for you. It, yeah, it's exactly. Like one. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's my pick. Again, I wouldn't go super deep. I'd go like 10 to 20. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good 8 to 12 month hold because in this new wave of surges that we're seeing in prices, this is something that has playability. It has low reprintability. And it has a decent amount of liquidity based on the number of buy and sell posts I've been seeing on Facebook yep. for this card recently. So it satisfies really all three of those that you want on a long-term spec because if this is the new floor which by all indications it is all right we're out you know whatever we're out and that's all we're ever going to be out on it you're it's hard to take a loss unless watsi design philosophy changes drastically and all of a sudden there's a derevi stacks commander list who knows smokestack is interesting um for a number of reasons one i think the reprint equity on this is really low because there's because of the trick with stacks where you can sacrifice and then put your counters on um, as yeah. the owner of the card, which is a type of gameplay that Watsi no longer wants to promote. So putting this in any kind of playable set in the future is probably a, a non-starter. Uh, so something like a masterpiece, or if we ever go back to that again, like, yeah, maybe. Um, but before I, I discuss that, for me, Smokestack isn't just one card. You mentioned that this is the progenitor of the stack's archetype. So there are a lot of companion cards to Smokestack. I think of Sphere Resistance, Thorn of Amethyst, Lodestone Golem, all these taxing effects that go into the Vintage Stacks deck. Basically, all the artifacts that aren't mocks and have to be banned in Vintage, or restricted in Vintage. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, Sphere Resistance not only got a masterpiece, but jumps around Oath of the Gatewatch release. There's a hard yep. spike there. Thorn of Amethyst. Also a jump at Oath of the Gatewatch release. These aren't seeing legacy play. Uh, I honestly cannot remember what was going on at the time. In EDH, that would really prompt this. Smokestacks didn't move. And and now, like, sure, nobody... Like you mentioned, nobody really plays smokestacks. The idea of stacks, espresso stacks, mud stacks, etc., is dead and gone in vintage. You just play the taxing pieces. But it's not like vintage is the driving force to take Sphere of Resistance, which was a perennial $8 card. Sorry, $3 card, up to, you know, 15, cresting 20, and now over 30. You know, this is going to be a reduction of quantity in the marketplace for either a more aggressive CEDH style play or EDH play in general. And I think I like picking up the 
the cards that kind of fall behind yeah. when you when you when you look at stuff like this when you look at companion cards like well if you're playing this then this makes sense and this makes sense and this makes sense right smote stacks is right there with that package and yeah. this could be you know nostalgia speaking uh, but looking at the other two seeing that they are still kind of dancing around uh, an average floor i like smoke sack as the better pick because those two have just yeah. kind of roped despite the fact that there is movement they just keep you when you average it out it just is flat essentially there hasn't been a lot of rise on this smoke sack there's still a lot of meat on the bone and i think it's yeah. a good and fine pick overall uh to your point yeah i don't think i'd go in super deep it's not like it's a, a really demanding pick at 20 ish yeah. for either version um it's just i think there's a little more of a, a liquidity issue yeah uh, at, at it's, 20 it, it is liquid but it's not as liquid as like a fetch land at 20 dollars yeah. and that's you know there's a specific player that wants this card whereas with you know a twenty dollar fetch land, everybody wants that card. So while it's liquid, it's not as liquid as some other twenty dollar investments or as like a dollar pick. You know when we're slumlording it with Sarkin's unsealing, yeah. which one day. one day we'll get there. One day when quantity dries, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, my pick. I am targeting EDH again. Um, this time. I'm going back to the well, and we're going to uh, Court of Cunning, which pairs with, a, I think, the white court I picked a while ago. Uh, court of Cunning is the mill, the mill court, for those that are wondering. The text is very small. When the courts, they're a cycle of cards, and there's one in each color. When they ETB, you become the monarch, and the triggered effect changes whether or not uh, you are the monarch, generally increasing in quantity. So if you're not the monarch, Target player mills two cards. If you're the Monarch, they melt ten cards. This is from Commander Legends, paired with Bruvac. That's a lot of cards. Paired without Bruvac. Yeah. Still a lot of cards. Right? So, seemingly narrow in scope on the surface, but this card plays well in both mill decks as, you know, graveyard shenanigan decks. I'll put it in quotes, because there's a lot that goes on to that. So, this looks like a rock star in either a mono blue mill or a demir mill as it's a passive mill component that functions without any kind of restrictions whether you're the monarch or not not this card is always good but being the monarch obviously better below the surface there's a lot more to the card you can play it in reanima reanimator style decks that can decks that can quote-unquote clone from the graveyard with cards like lazab to be your mastermind decks that want to quote-unquote again spell sling from the graveyard either yours or your opponent's and then a whole lot more beyond that. I don't know how to bucket uh, Grolnok and Slogurk style decks, but they're also in here as well. And those are brand new commanders. Um, both frogs, I think. No, sorry. One's a frog, yeah. one's an ooze. Um, oh, yeah. Right? They just blue doing graveyard things for some reason. You know, as people look to play out of the graveyard, as zombie support moves to graveyard-based synergies, not that Mill is an evergreen... Oh, sorry. Now that Mill is an evergreen and recycle keyword receiving support, as long as cards like Kess keep being printed, cards that can mill in large chunks without much effort will become better and better looks. So we look at the, um, some of the zombie stuff, and I said, is Gissa and Garoth the play out? The Scarab God plays out uh, of the graveyard. And then there's Kess Dissident Archmage, like I mentioned, which is just like an every turn Snapcaster image. And then there's also uh, a smidge 
of legacy support. Uh, is it Delver? Uh, essentially, Merktide lists play a court out of the sideboard here and there, so that puts a small amount of pressure on the card outside of EDH, but I don't expect legacy demand to really you know, push this up too, too high. Um, yeah. And this kind of, like, reinvigorates a lot of the mill cards. Not like Traumatized, which just doesn't quite mill. It's just like, you just grab half of your deck, put it in the graveyard. You know, we're looking to just literally play as many cards with mill as possible in our themes. So, you know, as far as the timeline is concerned, we know Commander Legends is well out of print, and there and there's been no solid price increase of the court. I'll bring Soxgraph up. Coming out of the recent Indistrad sets, so we're looking at most likely close to a year based on slow growth at the Biolist level. So again, no price bump coming out of the Commander Legends uh, print run end, and no bump from the recent Innistrad sets, which look to play out of the graveyard with two brand new commanders and a bunch of zombie support. So we're looking at a year. Right now, CK is buying double the quantity they were back in June 2021 for approximately 36% more, while there has been an approximate 10% reduction in unique prices on TCG Player and an approximate 18% increase in price. Now, these sound like big numbers, but big percentages, but we're working with small numbers here. So I added this card to my list in June of 2021. CK was buying 40 at 33 cents. When I wrote this, they were, they were buying 87 at 45 cents. This was before a weekend and coming out of a weekend, then they're now buying 106 at 45 cents. So they're just churning this stock, but they think they might've found a price ceiling right now for sales is what this is telling me because supply is still active. You know, we need to drain supply. The TCG market uh, place had 367 LP or better at $1.19. We now have 325 at $1.41. So again, we can see this upward trajectory, but it, because we're working with small dots, you know, we're working with cents, these large percentages aren't changing yeah. a whole heck of a lot. <clears throat> I think both of these numbers will continue to go up based on the utility of the card now and expectations of future releases, but the overall uh, percentage price increase will probably stay the same, making this a slow growing spec, but one I'm happy to go 20 deep on. You know, at a dollar and change, I'll go in. As far as reprint equity is concerned, I don't think we're gonna see these reprinted in the next Commander Legends sets. I believe we will see another cycle like these as these kinds of sets will let the design team flex in interesting ways. If it were to come back though, my expectation would be that uh, we would see it in a dedicated mill EDH deck attached to a set. So, you know, like Caperni or whatever. And I'd be very happy about that actually because if a mill EDH deck were released with a set, that means we would most likely see heavy mill support within the set, and the demand for cards like this from the EDH deck should outpace supply. It might not be the one to target, the deck to target, like I mentioned previously, if we were to see this in decks, but um, the mill keyword having a heavy presence in the set meaning means it's going to trigger people to go back and look for cards that fit, and this is a very affordable card, and right now a fairly abundant card, and I think that that would be great for this. I really do think demand would outpace supply if it does end up in one of those decks. Yeah, I think this one's particularly good. One because it's, you know, 
it appeals to EDH. Uh, but two, it falls into that category of, well, yes, the year timeline is probably accurate for buy list. It just takes one error at the dev level, and all of a sudden this can be a 15 to $20 card. Um, one busted thing with the graveyard. Hogak happened and suddenly Vengevine was good again. You know, Hollow One existed because we printed a common that caused you to discard cards. Yep. It's it's the type of thing that filling in with graveyard shenanigans, you know, to me, yes, I would go incredibly deep on this card, but I wouldn't put it in the box where I just forget about it and then check in a year. I would put it in the box where it's like, all right, I kind of have to pay attention mm -hmm. to this just because I want to make sure I've got this covered. Yep. That's what it falls into, and that's what I really like about this card, is it's such a good, like, all right, I'm here, I'm doing the thing, this is going to be awesome. Yep. Like, it, it is one card away from going from a dollar something to $10 and something and just having the overnight 10x. And that, to me, is where the strength of this card lies. Yep. Because it, it is something that I think inevitably is just going to be like, yeah, natural progression. It's a card that draws you cards and mills, and that appeals to so many people. It also has the opportunity to just spike something because some stupid graveyard card gets printed. Yes, yeah. so. or it it's just some part of a constructed strategy. You, know, you mentioned you, know, you can play it in the main. The Legacy deck just wants to go a little longer. You become the Monarch, you draw an extra card, and oh, by the way, you're milling 10 a turn. It, it yeah. the ability to flex in turn from targeting yourself to somebody else in any of the game there is is also fantastic. And who knows if things slow down in modern? Like yeah, that could app this could absolutely become a th sorry it can't become a thing because it's in Commander Legends, so we'll never see it there. Maybe maybe not. Yeah. Maybe we'll see the court cycle movement in modern. It's not like they're overpowering by any stretch. They all cost yeah. four or five. We can get there, but. It, this is kind of like the the bow of Nylia pick and the Biden of Thassa pick. It's like they keep making stuff that works with it, so we got to start looking for our inroads when we can. Yeah. And because this is a card that um is cheeky and on the surface looks like oh hey, the 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 top two generals on EDH rec account for seventy like some ridiculous percentage of decks with the this card like but they're mill obviously this is what it does and then you actually read through it and you're like oh no it doesn't this puts this feels the graveyard for whatever you want to do that's it it's it's yeah. like two buckets Grohl knock and slow gurk withstanding mill shenanigans those two and that's one of the reasons why I, I really like the card because it, it it could also be surprising in what it does later Oh, be yeah, because of a brand new card, you know, it's it's upside is like absurd, and its floor is still perfectly exactly. fine. And if it were legal in modern, which you know obviously it's not, thankfully, I'm sure blue black mill would be even better than it already is. So yeah, something in not about not introducing the monarch mechanic to modern or something. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that's also a powerful effect just tacked onto the card. That's the first sentence. When it enters the battlefield, yep. you become the monarch. 
And th this only costs three. Uh, this is the cheapest one. It's not four. I'm sorry. It's one double blue. Yeah. I thought it was two and double blue. I've been reading it wrong for like two weeks now. <laughs> yep, you become... Still yeah, good. exactly. You become the monarch. That's just super powerful on the surface. Like, if you want to become the monarch in EDH, you want to play as many effects that do that as possible. Yeah, for three mana, you get that, and you can mill somebody out. Cool. Why not? Yeah. But I think that's going to be it for the end of this week, and thus our two-part episode on what we would do if well, we were in charge over at Hasbro. Uh, as always, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, on Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube. And if you want to reach us individually, I am Halt, I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty we'll Sizzler. See you next week.